Thank you, Jerry, for that prayer and our time here together. Uh, welcome to those of us who are joining uh, uh, at home. So we have a live stream happening right now, and, and I know we welcomed them earlier, but welcome back. Uh, and this is our, um, our message today on 2 Timothy. And 2 Timothy uh, is a letter written by Paul. We'll talk about that in just a minute. We are in the middle of a sermon series called Preaching Through the Scriptures. We have been in this series, everyone, since before the pandemic. So that is, we have been in here for quite some time, and it's been a lot of fun. It's been fun kind of seeing the Scriptures open up a little bit in ways that I have never seen them before. And here we are at 2 Timothy, so we're kind of like at the, the, the back nine of the golf course, right? We only have a little bit more to go, and then we will we'll finish this out with the book of Revelation. So uh, I'm excited for you all to be here for that today. Ha, raise your hands. I like to participate. That's me. I like to participate, make sure everyone's there. I can't see your faces. I can only see your eyes, so I'm sure everyone is is, you know, when you do fall asleep, it's more noticeable now because that's all I can see, so just fair warning. But anyways, raise your hand. Have you ever been on the varsity team? Raise your hand if you were a varsity sports player. Yes, wonderful, good for you. That's great. Yes, I, you know, I, I was on the varsity team. I got a varsity letter. I don't know if you're in your school. If you were on the varsity team, you got a varsity letter. My varsity letter is framed, and the pin on it is for the sport that I was involved with. It was for marching band. So yeah, so I have a varsity letter for marching band. I wear that proudly. And so I uh, did not get a jacket for it, but definitely a framed picture of that letter for me. But why I bring this up is that in junior high, I used to wrestle. And in junior I, they started uh, with varsity and junior varsity, you know, to kind of start kids out young on the have and have nots, just to build up their self-esteem. And so on this wrestling team, it was seventh, eighth, and ninth grade, the high school kind of came down and wrestled with the junior high folks, to, again, to make us feel wonderful about ourselves. And so when you were in seventh grade, you were most likely on the JV team. The only chance that you were on varsity is if you wrestled the really, really light weights that, that, uh, that didn't have have a lot of kids in, so they were, all, they were typically varsity folks. I was never lightweight, and so I was in uh, what was called the heavyweight category. They used to put numbers on your hands to say, to remind you just of how portly you were, and instead of a number here for me, portly means fat, everybody, instead of a number here for me, they would put the uh, initials HWT, because that's how big I was. I was heavyweight. It meant the sky's the limit. You could be as fat as you wanted to be on that one. He didn't have to care about that. So anyways, I was hooked. I was HWT. That was my weight. And I had the chance to be on the varsity team. Eighth grade. I had gone to wrestling camp the summer before. I was prepped. I was ready to go. Wrestling camp kind of ruined me a little bit. I lost my love for wrestling, really. It was intense. It was awful. No child should have. It's child abuse is what it was. And they should never have to do that. And so I wrestled off for my varsity position. And I had the guy beat. I had him beat, everybody. I mean, I wasn't that bad. Let's not, don't want to brag. But I had him beat. I had one more move to go. And his back would have been down, and it would have been done. Because the thing about heavyweights, once you get them on the back, they don't, they're kind of like turtles. They don't really fall, roll back over again. So that's the object of the game, is get this mammoth on his back. And so um, everything flashed in my, before my eyes, and I thought, you know what? I don't want to be on the varsity team. 
Being on the varsity team means I'm going to be held accountable. Being on the varsity team means I'm going to have to do my best day in and day out. I'm going to have to do extra practices. I'm going to have to learn and be very, very skilled to keep my spot. And everyone's going to expect that I hold that HWT weight class down and pin folks and do all that. And I didn't, I don't want that. I I just wanted to be loosely associated with the team. Being on the sidelines, wrestling here, there, and everywhere, that was fine for me. Uh, Getting out of school early to go to wrestling matches, sign me up. That's fine. I'll do all of that. That is great. But I I could care less, really, about being that varsity level. And so I loosened my grip. I let my grip go just a little bit. And I didn't think it was noticeable. And all of a sudden, I was like, oh, I'm on my back. And and then I I was done, right? And, And he pinned me. His name was Dan. He went on to be our school's like all-star heavyweight. I mean, he was great. He loved it. Amen. Go be, do that, brother. But for me, no. And so the coach comes over to me. This is extra to the story. But the coach comes over to me and he says, if you ever do that again, I will toss your butt off this team so fast. I mean, he knew. He saw it. He knew exactly what had happened. And I was like, yeah, whatever, it's fine. Uh, Just did it a few extra laps and went about my business on the way home. Why I bring this up? So many of us in our faith, in our faith journey, in our relationship with Christ, so many of us settle for junior varsity. We settle for the sidelines. We settle for just being loosely associated with Christ. And I don't want all of the expectations that come with that. I don't want to be held accountable with what comes to that. But I'm okay with being, you know, a friend of Jesus. That's great. But, but anything else than that, I, I don't necessarily need. But this, my friends, is not a part of our true calling as Christ followers. There's no sideline activity as Christ followers, as we're going to see today. Accepting the calling is accepting that varsity position. It's getting the letter, the letter C or X if you know Greek, whatever. But it's getting that that Greek letter, having that letterman jacket and everything that comes with it. Now, while the pressure of winning the match, now get this, and I'm going to hit it home later. The pressure of winning the match, the game, is not on your shoulders. Hold that in place. However, Accepting this calling, accepting this faith, accepting that relationship with Jesus opens our hearts to a burning desire to want to live the way he lived, to want to do the things that he did, and that gets us firmly in that spot on that team. To be totally associated with him, to grow, to learn, to dive deeper into his word and become freer and stronger in Christ. To become dangerous, as Jerry taught us last week. Jerry gave a message about what it means to be dangerous, having the message of Christ be dangerous. It can't be dangerous if we're on the sidelines. And so today we're going to talk about then how to be dangerous. It's to be boundless. That our faith in Christ is a boundless faith. Not shackled, not chained, not on the sidelines. So we're looking at 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy is part due of, that whole, of this whole letter here situation. It is, uh, some scholars believe, Paul's final letter, his last letter. He's in prison. Chips, aren't, chips are down on the table. It's not looking great. He kind of knows that. And so he's doing this final like, letter to Timothy and to this church that Timothy's involved in and really trying in a very personal and a very um, convicting way to get Timothy to remember his calling. 
to not go to the sidelines, but to remember he's been called to the varsity team and to, to share that and call others in that church with him along that process. Now, the problem that's happening, as with all the churches that Paul kind of, the, the issue that just is so prevalent is that the churches begin, people in the church begin to kind of backslide a little bit. And leaders, leaders who were once on fire for the Lord, begin to backslide a little bit. And as they backslide a little bit, they start to rewrite the gospel in some way. They start to contort it and make it so that it's more manageable for people, more alluring to people than, than the dangerous gospel that it is. And so this is what's happening to Timothy, and Paul is seeing this from, he's getting this from his jail cell, and he's trying to get Timothy to, all right, get a handle on this situation. And also, brother, don't fall into that. Don't fall into those chains, to those shackles that this gospel of freedom, this boundless faith in which you are called to, to, to live out. And so that is what we're going to look at today, to remember that being a Christ follower means being called to a boundless, and I would add the word unhindered faith. If you were to go to the book of Acts, the last word in most translations that is attributed to Paul in the book of Acts is the word unhindered. That Paul had such an on-fire love and faith for Christ that he lived his days out in the face of persecution, opposition, jail, beatings, death. He lived the gospel out unhindered, boundless. Because we, my brothers and sisters, are called to a boundless faith. That is how we become dangerous. And so today what we're going to look at is we're going to look at what binds faith up. What, what puts it in shackles? Because Paul is explaining to Timothy in his, in his letter here, there are, there are places where you can get shackled up in your faith. You can limit. You can put God in a box. You can really limit this gospel that is really supposed to be on fire, fanning the flames, all the things, right? And so we're going to look at that. There's three things that we'll look at as to what binds faith up. And then the second, the good news is then, how is faith boundless? I'll give you a hint, Jesus. So if, if we have to end this early, just know that the moral of the story is Jesus Christ, okay? Thanks be to God, amen. Let's go on and let's look and see what's happening. So I am going to bounce around in 2 Timothy just a little bit, folks, and this is kind of not my habit. I like to have a passage that anchors me because I can go screwy, and, but this, there's a lot of like sound bites here in this letter because it's so personal and it's so convicting. And so just bear with me. We're going to kind of bounce around in here. And the first thing we're going to talk about is what causes our faith to be chained, to be bound up. There are three things that Paul explains in here that teaches about the gospel and how we live it out. That if we go the other side, we can get chained up. We can get bound up. And those things are timidity and fear, shame of the gospel, and apprehension to instruction. So the first one, timidity and fear. There is a famous passage in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. You may have heard it before. Paul is explaining to Timothy the, 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 the Holy Spirit. The spirit that he has, that, that dwells inside of him, and is convicting Timothy of this truth, that, that God gave us a spirit, not of fear, not of timidity, but of power and of love and of self-control. And the reason why that is explained there is that if you were to flip that on the other side and be shackled up by your fear, you have to understand what Paul is saying to Timothy, that is not of God. 
That is not the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of you. If you are afraid of the gospel and you are afraid of what God may call you to do, then that is not of the Lord whatsoever. Because the, the Lord in whom we believe and the Lord in whom we follow may say to you, go take that mountain. He may say to you, go to that country. He may say to you to go to that person. If you remember, I'm going to pick on Jerry just because it came to my mind. If you ever listen to Jerry's story, he talks about this. He said one of the things that he was apprehensive to it was, was that he was afraid that God was going to make him go take out that person to the prom, right? But God just may do that. God may make you do call things for you to do that your body, everything inside of you says, don't. This won't work. This is dangerous. This surely isn't of the Lord. And Paul is saying to Timothy, at a time where it is not glamorous to be a messenger of the gospel of Christ. I mean, Paul's in jail, facing death. And he convicts Timothy, a leader of this church. If you have fear, this is not of God. The Spirit of God is not one of fear, but one of power, one of love, and one of self-control. Fear makes us stop. Fear makes us reroute. Fear makes us change our course direction. Fear makes us impulsive to act on, on a self-preservation type of way. This is why I kind of threw the match because of several reasons. One of them was I was afraid of what I was going to be called to do as a varsity player. And so I rerouted. I acted out of impulse, and the coach caught me on it. I'll toss you off this team. You do something like that again. When God says take the mountain, what fear does is all we see is the cliffs, the struggle, the danger, and we don't see the mountaintop reward that it could be. Now God could be, your mountain could be anything. Like I, the examples I gave, your mountain could be missions. Instead of writing a check, you actually go. Your mountain could be to talk to that person, that neighbor, that family member, the person that you might be in conflict with. That might be your mountain that day. But to not listen to that, to, to, to retreat, is a spirit of fear and timidity that is not of the Lord. There's a great story in the Bible in the Old Testament, one in whom we named our son after, Caleb. If you know about this, in the Old Testament, there was Joshua and Caleb, and they were kind of all-stars uh, in their day there, and they were with Moses, and Moses uh, said to the people that God has told us to go take this land, and the people are like, mm, how about no? How about no? We don't do that. And then they pushed Moses' hand and said, send people. Let's send some scouts. Let's send some folks out there to look at this land that God is telling us to go to. Let's go out there and let's see what's, uh, what's about this land. Can we actually take it? So Moses raises up 12 people of whom Caleb is one, and he sends them out to go scout out this land. They see it, and they are afeared. They are afraid because there is, it's fortified. The folks are big and strong and all sorts of craziness there. And so they come back, and 10 of the 12 say to Moses and the people, no, no bueno, this is not good. Let's just stay where we're at. Let's just eat our soggy bread and we will be fine, right? Just stay right here. But Caleb, he saw something differently. Why? Because Caleb's heart was for the Lord. And if his heart is for the Lord, then the spirit that dwells inside of him is not one of fear and timidity, but one of power and love. And so what he says is, I didn't see all that. Sure, I saw all the fortification. I saw all of that stuff. But I see the God of Israel, and you know what? We can take them. 
You know why? Because the battle's probably already won. God has already won it. So let's go. Let's take the mountain. Let's take the hill. Fear and timidity have no place in our boundless faith because it will always tell us all the reasons why it's not a good idea. Here's an interesting thought. Following Christ is not always a great idea to the world. It's always a great, it's a great idea, obviously, in, for our spiritual selves, but to the outside world, it seems crazy. It seems dangerous. Nevertheless, it is very much true. And it is true of Timothy, in whom Paul is trying to give his last kind of instruction to. Don't fall into the trap of fear, man. Stay the course. You are called to a boundless, unshackled faith. And Paul is saying this while in chains. The second thing that can bind us up is, is not only fear, but then is there's this shame in the gospel. And in 2 Timothy, uh, Paul talks about this. Don't be ashamed of the gospel in which I've, I have deposited into you. Don't be ashamed of the gospel in which I am shackled for. Don't be ashamed of it. And I scratch my head a little bit on this because what does it mean to be ashamed of the gospel? If I'm ashamed, it's usually because I did something wrong right? And then you feel the shame and the embarrassment for it. What did the gospel do? The gospel didn't do anything wrong. It's just words on a page, convicting words. But what did it do that was wrong that I would be ashamed? And then I, I, I realized as I sat with it, what Paul is saying is, do not be ashamed of this gospel out of fear of association. See, it's a different kind of fear. See, Timothy, there's other leaders in, in Timothy's circle that began to be ashamed of the gospel in which Paul had preached and taught. They saw Paul in chains. They saw Paul about to die. They saw that all the chips were down. They saw that they too could be folded into this if they kind of followed his steps. And so they recoiled and they became ashamed of the gospel. They didn't want to be associated with that whatsoever. And so instead of, of being bold and boundless, they started to rewrite this message. They started to preach a false ideology theology that people started to pick up and thought, oh, no, oh, that's a good idea. This happens all the time. This happens all the time in well-meaning churches and awful churches where they begin to change the message out of fear that people will get offended. That can happen. It's human. It happened with Timothy in his day. And, it's, and Paul's seeing it and he's saying, okay, 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 wait, wait, wait. Do not be ashamed of this whatsoever. Paul says, I am in chains, but the word of God is not. I believe it's in chapter two. I am in chains, but the word of God is not. Do not be ashamed of this gospel, of being associated with it. yes it's going to be dangerous. Yes, you're going to face persecution. Yes, you're going to face trials. And yes, you're not absolved from all the other crazy stuff that happens in this world. But the gospel is not bound. All of that stuff is going to try to limit it, but the word of God, the message of Christ, is not bound up. I said to the first service, I said, there is no reason why we should be here worshiping today. 
If you think about the message of Christ, if you were just to think about it at face value, not as believers, it is unbelievable. Okay, so there was a guy 2,000 years ago who claimed to be son of God. Sure, I mean, all mothers think that their sons are sons of God, for sure. And he goes and does these things, and maybe he did miracles, whatever, but then he dies, and then he rises again. That, does, that doesn't happen. And then all of his people who were, were followers of him, they all die too. I mean, that, this, this sounds too fantasy. And yet we are here in a faith that's one of the largest in the world. I can't know if it's still the largest, but one of the largest in the world. Over 2,000 years later, and then if we wanted to add our Jewish brothers and sisters' history onto that year, that lineage as well, we're talking thousands upon thousands of years of history and of stories of the one true God. How? How? It's because the Word of God is not bound up. It's not limited by our shame. It's not limited by our fear. And so Paul's trying to say, don't waste time feeling those things. Instead, fan into the flame the gift of God and get on the varsity team and go and start and start winning the matches. Have fun. Go. Be boundless. And the third thing that could bind us up is apprehension, apprehension to instruction. And this comes from the famous text, chapter 2, verse, um, excuse me, chapter 3, verse 16. You may have heard it before. And, and Paul says to Timothy this, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable, it's good for, teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. All scripture. And then I would add the gospel. Everything that has ever been written down by the, about the true God and about Christ, all of this has been breathed out by God. The very breath that created the world that we are in, the very breath that breathed life into Adam, the very breath that breathed life into Christ, the very breath that raised people from the dead, the very breath that calmed the storm and the seas, that very creative, all-powerful breath is in and embedded into these words. It's probably one of the other reasons why we are here today and why it's not bound up, because it contains the very breath of God. Our faith gets shackled when we have apprehension to the power that these words can have on our life. When we say, we know what you're teaching. We know what you're saying. We know the expectation. It's just not for me. I know that being on the varsity spot in the wrestling team is going to mean winning matches, it's going to mean hard work. It's going to mean strength conditioning. It's going to be, it's going to be all those things. And I know that it's, it could be great and glorious, but it's not for me. See, when we have this apprehension to the truth that is here that is convicting us about Christ, about this mission, about all of this, it boxes us up. It brings us back to a very limited view of who Jesus is. We are only getting a partial, a partial view of, of who Christ is. 
And as James, if you ever go to the book of James, James tells us there is no partiality. You can't have a half in, half out Jesus view. So Paul continues that, that, that passage. All scriptures breathed out by God, profitable teaching, reproof, correction, training, righteousness. And he says this, that the man of God, that the woman of God, the person of God may be complete, may be equipped for every good work. A boundless faith. Why it is boundless? My second part to this message, why it is boundless, is because of Jesus Christ who is ever faithful and who has won the match already. And therefore, everything he has taught and for everything that he has convicted us, and for all the scriptures that are there, these are good for teaching and correction and challenge, and they equip us to be on the varsity team. And what's the best thing is that we don't have to have the pressure of winning the match because Christ has already won it. This is how it means, this is why it means that it is, it's freed up. You don't have to have the pressure to win because Christ has already won the battle. So then all you have to do is step in on that varsity team and fan into the flame the gift of God and just be set free and watch what the Spirit does with that testimony. Watch hearts melt in a good way as they come to their knees to believe in who Christ is. And watch yourself be freed up and the immense gift and depth and grace of Jesus Christ in which whom you have been called. A boundless, freed up faith that is not shackled and chained up by anything the world can throw at it, even ourselves. And so Paul, in a very urgent way, time is running out to his mentee, he's trying to say to him, you've got these, these false teachers in your midst. Don't give them any more time of day that you need to give them. Raise up more people under this freedom gospel. Raise up more people under this God-breathed scripture. Raise up more people who aren't ashamed of the message in which you're preaching and raise up more people who are fearless, who fear not the mountain that God may be calling them to take. He says in his closing this to Timothy. Chapter 4, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort, and complete patience and teaching. He warns them, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itchy ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers that suit their own passions and will turn away from the listening to the truth and wander off into myths. There is a time coming when people will throw the match, be satisfied with junior varsity sideline association, making up their own stories of who Jesus is that suits their own needs. Paul says to Timothy, but as for you, always be sober-minded, endure the suffering that's going to come. Do the work of the evangelist and fulfill your ministry. And the reason being for that 
It's because Christ has won the battle already. Ours is just to step into it boldly and live on that winning team in such a way that others would want to know who Christ is. You have been called to a boundless, unhindered faith. Let's pray. Gracious Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for challenge, for conviction, for hitting me between the eyes of places where I don't do this well, where I may be afraid of what people may think if I post something online, where I may be afraid of what people may think if I pray for them and they don't know me from from Adam. But you, O Lord, have not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love. Your word is not bound. Your message is God-breathed. And so, Lord, let us breathe that same breath onto folks, onto hearts that are dead and need to be alive in you. Let us be bold and courageous. Let us be dangerous. And let us live this boundless faith. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.